We're in a series in the book of Genesis called Origins. And we've been in the story of Noah. This is the second part of a two-part talk on, on Noah and that narrative found in Genesis 6 through, through 9. But here we're honing in on chapter 8. You know, knowing someone is totally committed to your well-being is extremely comforting, isn't it? When you know someone is, is just totally committed to your well-being. And, and in Genesis 8, Noah and family, they're found hidden, floating, and waiting. And I imagine they must be wondering, God, what's next? How will you see us through this? What's going to happen? How's this all going to play out? I mean, we've been here for a long time, floating on, on these waters. Have you forgotten us? I wonder if questions like that were in their hearts and minds. But it was there in, in the darkest hour of human history, God's commitment makes way for a new beginning. And so, what does a bird with a leaf in her mouth, what does a rainbow what does God's promise to one family have to do with his wholehearted commitment to us? Well, let's look in Genesis chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed the rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to rest her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. And so Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. We'll pause there. Let's pray. Father, as we explore this, this narrative, this, this ancient text, we ask that, Lord, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear 
all that you've intended for us. Help us to see your character. Help us to, to see a, all, all that you have laid out about yourself in this story and about us, about humankind. We trust you to lead us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things, three points will help us walk through this, this narrative. First, a new beginning. Second, God's wholehearted commitment. And third, a familiar ending. So first, a new beginning, a new beginning. A little review, the story of Noah begins with a flood of human corruption and violence. And we saw that in chapters five and six, primarily of Genesis. But this human flood of corruption and violence, it's so pervasive, it's so deep, all humanity is caught up in it and guilty of it. And it breaks God's heart. Do you remember? We read that it breaks God's heart. He's filled with grief over what he sees and observes within humankind. It's met with a flood of God's grief and justice. That flood of human corruption and violence is met with a flood of God's grief and justice. It's broken-hearted intervention. And that's what we saw last Sunday. God is determined to stop this human corruption and violence, this injustice and evil. But it's also met with the promise of God's favor and mercy on one man and his family. And so here they are in Genesis 8. They're floating on top of the floodwaters of God's grief and justice. And as I reflected on this story this this past week, I tried to imagine myself right there in the ark with them. I was trying to feel the rocking back and forth on the waves. I tried to hear the, the creaking of the joints within the wood. I tried to think of the questions that might have been screaming through Noah's head and heart. Overwhelmed by the gravity of what's happening outside the ark. Humbled by the favor, by the undeserved grace that has been shown to him and his family. Wondering what's next. You see, the ark just, it seemed so big when he was building it, right? And now here they are floating on the floodwaters of of God's grief and justice. And for so long, they felt so small. And I'm sure they were wondering, God, how? How are you going to come through? God, when? When are you going to come through? And we have this sweet verse in chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. God isn't absent-minded. He isn't forgetful. He wasn't like, oh yeah, Noah. I mean, it's the only family left. The idea behind this word remembered is is that God is mindful in such a way to take appropriate action. It implies movement towards Noah and his family. God is directing his full attention towards Noah here. But God remembered Noah. You know, when you're struggling to make sense of what's happening around you, if you know God knows, it's comforting, isn't it? But more than that, if you know that he cares and is mindful towards you, it's comforting. And more than that, if you know that he is poised and ready for action, it makes all the difference in the world. Well, that's what we have here. God's full attention directed at Noah and his family. 
Have you ever been in the place, though, where you wonder, has God forgotten me? It's been a long time now. I've been trusting you to work, and you fill in the blank. In this area of my life, and I feel like I've been floating on the floodwaters of grief and justice. Have you forgotten me, God? How are you going to work? When are you going to work? Well, you're not alone if you've had those questions. And if you don't have those questions right now in your head and heart, you will one day. It's the common experience of every follower of Jesus. And we see this in the Psalms as well. It's expressed in a lot of different areas within Scripture, but turn with me to Psalm 13. David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Here's what David is saying. I have, I have relied upon, I have placed my confidence in your steadfast love. This is loyal love. This is covenant faithfulness. And so here we have the psalmist standing between what he's facing and what he knows is true about God. And we've all been there. We're standing between what we're facing and our experience. We're in it. But we know what is true of God and his promises, the reality of what he has promised to us. And there's this tension. Am I going to lean on his promises? Am I going to pull away from what I know is true of God? I believe that's where Noah was, in the tension, floating on the floodwaters of grief and justice. And we feel the relief to that tension come when we hear God remembered Noah. God is on the move. It says that God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed and the rain from the heavens were restrained and the waters receded. God is on the move. And these are echoes of Genesis chapters one and two. There's a renewed separation of sea and land. And this echo of Genesis 1 and 2 will carry into chapter 9 as well. And we'll get to that. Why? Why are these echoes of Genesis 1 and 2 happening in the story of Noah? Because the world was undone. It's as if it was uncreated. The chaotic waters of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 had returned. Do you remember where the spirit was hovering over the chaos and the, the waters of the deep? Genesis 1.1, but here God pushes them back again. Here God brings order, recreating. You might notice the number seven repeated in this narrative. It's another echo, seven days of creation. This is a literary masterpiece. These stories, these narratives, these ancient narratives, they're, they're literary masterpieces. Then the ark comes to rest, we're told, on a high mountain range. Noah's name means rest. Rest came to rest. And at the end of 40 days, which is a number often used that suggests waiting and testing, do you think there was some waiting and testing going on? Noah opened the window and sent a raven. And then he sent a dove. 
to see if the waters had indeed subsided. Then he sent the dove a second time and it came back with a fresh leaf in her mouth. Imagine in that moment when the dove returned, how Noah felt. It was evening, it says, the dove returned and she had a a freshly plucked olive leaf in her mouth. I, I wonder if his eyes just filled with tears and there was this lump in his throat wanting to cry a cry of joy and relief at God's faithful provision and rescue. Promises that he made that he would see him and his family through these floodwaters that come to pass. And it says in verse 11, so Noah knew. I love this. Here this bird comes with the leaf in her mouth and he knew the waters had indeed subsided. The ark had come to rest and now Noah could find rest. Verses 1 through 15 of chapter 8, it just, there's this hope that's building throughout the narrative. And you, you can feel that hope, this anticipation building as the floodwaters begin to subside. And see, this part of the story with the raven and the dove, the freshly plucked olive leaf, it's the most uh, well-known part of the Noah story, the most popular part of the account. Imagine that one twig, the rush of hope that was brought to Noah. The dove, having no idea, carried in its beak the beautiful announcement of a new beginning. This little twig was an announcement of God's rescue and provision. And so Noah removed the covering and saw the dry ground for himself. And then God said, okay, It's time to go out. But why is there so much time between God saying it's time to go out and where where it says God remembered? There seems to be so much time between, okay, you can go out onto dry land, between that and when God remembered Noah. We would much rather just get right to it, like, God, just, just say we can go out. But there's a time period. Have you ever felt that way? Like, God, just what's taking you so long? God's interested in growing us. Lasting change is often a a process, not a one-time event. We we have an event where we encounter the the truth of who Jesus is and we, we put our faith and our hope in what Jesus accomplished on our behalf and we're justified. We're declared right in God's eyes, forgiven our sin and there's a an event that happens in that moment but from that day forward there's a process that God is doing in us, growing us and shaping us, heart and life transformation until the day we take our last breath. It's a process. And God is patient with us through it all. But God does say it's, it's time to go. Go on out of the ark. It's time to be fruitful and multiply. We see this in verses 16 and 17. And when he says be fruitful and multiply, we've heard that before. It's another echo of Genesis chapter 1. We see that in verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. And here's why. Noah is the new Adam. This is a new beginning. Here's the divine mandate given to Noah now. It was given to Adam. Now it's given to Noah. This is a recommissioning. Sending mankind, humankind, out again to reflect their creator, to populate the earth and with a people who will reflect God's character and creativity and rule, be fruitful and multiply. It's a new beginning. Second, 
we see God's wholehearted commitment. Look at verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I'll require it and from man. From his fellow man, I'll require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, for God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant, my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh when the bow is in the clouds i will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between god and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth god said to noah this is the sign of the covenant that i have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth a lot of repetition there and there's a reason for it it is emphasizing to us to the reader, God's wholehearted commitment. The first thing you notice is that Noah offers sacrifice to God. It's an expression of thanksgiving and worship and devotion. It's an expression of dependency and trust. It's an appropriate response after what God has delivered Noah and his family through. And Noah isn't just earning God's favor here. That's not it at all. No, he's already the recipient of God's favor. You notice this, right? He's, what, he, what is he doing then? He's expressing faith. This is an expression of trust in Yahweh, reverence in awe. And here's what the sacrifice does. We're told in verse 21, it pleased the Lord. I mean, just think of that for a moment. The sacrifice that Noah brings pleases the Lord. Have you thought about how our lives lived sacrificially unto the Lord brings pleasure to him? We, I don't think about the amount of pleasure I can bring to the Lord, I think, as much as I should think about that 
Look with me in Romans. In chapter 12, Paul writes to the church in Rome after explaining the truth of the good news about Jesus for 11 chapters. It's like, it's like where do we go after this? This is where he goes. I appeal to you, therefore, in light of all the, the gospel, the good news that I've been proclaiming to you, church, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, Paul's saying this is the reasonable response to what I've been proclaiming to you. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's an act of worship. Yes, when we sing songs for 25 minutes, it's an expression of worship. Yes, when we celebrate communion, it's an expression of worship. When you hear the word proclaimed and you, you, you receive the word of God uh, preached, that's an act of worship. You're worshiping the Lord as you live your life faithfully, devoted to him, saying no to things that you need to say no to that you know don't bring him pleasure and honor and glory and saying yes to those things that he's called you to and stepping out in courage and faith. That's what it looks like to offer your body as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to the Lord, and know this, it brings him pleasure. So here we have this window into the heart of God. Verse 21, back in Genesis chapter 8, it says, the Lord said in his heart. I love this. Do you remember in chapter 6, verse 6, humanity's corruption grieved God's heart. And so now here we see the Lord saying in his heart, He's expressing this wholehearted commitment now to humanity. There's this resolve that grows out of the Lord's heart and he's driven by his delight in human devotion and sacrificial fellowship. Even though the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth, he says never again, never again. Do you sense the resolve in God's heart? This story is bracketed by God's heart. The brokenhearted intervention, intervention of God. The wholehearted commitment of our God. And that's what we're staring at here. Such patience in the midst of such corruption. Now God won't compromise his justice. He is holy. And so what will he do in the face of human corruption and violence and injustice that comes his way now after the flood? What will he do? Well, we know what he won't do. He won't destroy the earth this way. He won't address human corruption and violence this way again. Here's what he does. He blesses Noah. Be fruitful and multiply. And it's repeated. Man will have dominion, is given dominion, the fear of you will be in every living thing. Everything is free to eat. But then in verse 6, the worth and value of chapter 9, verse 6, the worth and value of human life is emphasized. It's rooted in the fact that all humans are made in God's image. We reflect him like no other created thing. You have intrinsic value, meaning, and worth. You have divine value and purpose. You are made to reflect your creator. You are made to represent your creator. Do you hear the echoes of Genesis? Genesis 1 and 2. They're everywhere in this account. This is creation again. It's new creation. 
Then we see God's commitment expressed through covenant. And it's the first time we're introduced to this word in the biblical storyline. It's an important word. Covenant means agreement. It means pledge or a treaty. It's a solemn commitment. He had made that commitment in chapter 6, verse 18, and now he's going to lay it out in chapter 9. God's intention, preservation of the human race, of humanity, human flourishing, blessing, mercy, commitment to mankind. And it signifies relationship. Covenant is reaffirming the relationship between God and mankind. You see, a covenant is a binding relationship between two parties. There's rich significance here. Covenant was the hope that Noah held on to when the floodwaters hit. God's promise was to carry him through the flood, and that is what got him through the flood. He was holding on to God's promises. And so here, we see this repeated refrain, especially in chapter 9. Look with me in verse 9. God says, I establish my covenant with you. Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you. Verse 12, this is the sign of the covenant. Verse 15, I will remember my covenant. Verse 16, the everlasting covenant. Verse 17, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established. A covenant sign is given to Noah, a visible reminder of the covenant commitments that are being made. You know, we have signs of covenants within our culture. I'm wearing one right now. It's a wedding ring. It's a sign of a covenant I made with Valerie 23 years ago. And it reminds me every time I look at this that, well, she's mine, I'm hers. We're in covenant relationship. We have signs of covenants. Here God gives Noah a sign, a sign that is meant to inspire, a sign that is meant to uh, bring confidence and trust in God. He says, I have set my bow in the cloud. In other words, here's a sign that will help you remember that I remember. Here's a sign that will help you remember that I won't forget you. Isn't that sweet? It isn't a sign for Noah necessarily to remember. It's a sign that will help Noah remember that God will remember. A reminder to God of this covenant, an everlasting covenant. So church, this story is is meant to stick. It's meant, with all this imagery that we're we're being given, um, it, it is meant to stick with us like a song we can't shake, right, out of our heads. Sometimes we get songs stuck in our heads just on on repeat, like this endless loop, and we'd like that song to leave our head, but it doesn't. And and, and these narratives, they're meant to to think about and and, and to meditate on and and to think through the imagery that we're given, to remember the points that are being held up high, to remember his hard-to-grasp patience, to remember God's wholehearted commitment, his commitment to restore what is so broken as if God is shouting through this story, I won't give up on you. I won't give up on you. I've not forgotten you, and I refuse to give up on you. Finally, we see a familiar ending. Verse 18, 
The sons of Noah went forth from the ark where Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Ham was the father of Canaan, and these three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. I say this is a familiar ending. We're in a garden again. There's nakedness again. There's shame again. There are curses announced again. This is Genesis 3 all over again. It's an odd story of drunkenness and dishonor. There's scoffing. There's disrespect. There's, some think there's sexual sin or abuse. It's for sure a shameful act towards his father, a disrespectful act. But Noah himself is, is drunk, laying around naked. This downward spiral of sin begins once again in front of us now with the new Adam. And you might be sitting here reading this thinking, oh man, I really like happy endings. I thought this was going to end a little happier. It's difficult to watch this downward spiral happen. But the mirror of God's word is, is hard for us to look into sometimes and to see what is true about humanity. What is true about us, that we're broken. See, this familiar ending filled with brokenness and failure, it pushes us to keep looking, keep anticipating. Noah remains a model of the kind of leader we're hoping for, but he's not the answer. He's not the answer. God's wholehearted commitment expressed through covenant with Noah, it sets the stage for the rest of the story. What do I mean? If we follow the thread of covenant throughout the biblical storyline, which begins with Noah, leads to Abraham, which we'll get to in a few weeks, and then to the nation of Israel, and then to King David, eventually we reach Noah's descendant, Jesus, the truly righteous one who didn't escape the waters of judgment, but instead endured them. Jesus went through those waters so you and I wouldn't have to. And so God carried Noah safely through the waters of judgment into new creation life. Jesus came to do the same for you and I. On the cross, the corruption and the injustice and the evil of humanity of our sin was placed on Jesus. And so through his death and through his resurrection, what does he establish? New covenant. New promises. Covenant. And it's one that brings new creation life. Do you remember that scripture that says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation a new creation. 
Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, or the night he was betrayed and the, day, the night before he was crucified, he sat with his disciples and he, he broke bread and he drank wine and they celebrated something he was now instituting. He put in place through his death and resurrection, the new covenant. We celebrated it today with these signs, with these elements that we hold up like a rainbow that reminds us of God's commitment to us to bring rescue. We go on to identify with Jesus in the waters of baptism. Jesus described his death as a baptism, enduring the the just wrath and punishment for our sins. And when we are baptized, we fully identify with what Jesus did for us by going into the waters and coming out cleansed, newness of life. It's beautiful imagery. Full-on identification, public declaration, I belong to Jesus. It's saying yes to what he accomplished for us. But Noah colors, it helps just bring out even, even more aspects of that baptism for us because in baptism, what do we do? We fall into the waters of God's judgment, but we come out new because of what Jesus did for us. You see, he endured the waters of judgment so that we wouldn't have to. Cleansed of our sin. Newness of life. What is a bird with a leaf in her mouth? What is a rainbow? What is a a covenant established with a family and all creation? What does that have to do with God's wholehearted commitment to us here today. Well, church, it's one chapter in God's storyline of redemption, and it's a story that reaches its culmination in Jesus. It's a story that that meets us in our darkest hour and makes a way for us to experience new creation life. So what does it have to do with us? Everything. That bird with a leaf in her mouth, that twig, the rush of hope and joy and God's faithfulness. What does the cross do for us? As we look upon the cross today, does it flood our hearts with hope and joy? Does it remind us of God's faithfulness and provision and rescue? Let it do that. It's been my prayer for us if, if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling forgotten, if you feel left on those floodwaters of, of grief and justice, let the cross remind you of God's faithful intervention. Let the cross remind you of God's wholehearted commitment to you. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the story of Noah. God, we're humbled by what we see here about your character, your patience, your covenant faithfulness, your justice. There's so much about you that we see here that that humbles us, moves us to worship, that comforts us that reminds us that, Lord, you've not left us all alone. 
but you've been faithful to, to intervene. You've been faithfully committed to us. Lord, there's no greater expression of that faithfulness than the gift of your son, Jesus. Father, thank you for Jesus. And thank you that in Christ we find a rescue from the floodwaters that we deserve, the floodwaters of your justice. And may, may the reality of what you've accomplished in Jesus fill us with hope today. In Jesus' name, amen.